Chapter 2 I Am Very Weary It'll be remembered as one of the most confounding missing persons cases. In August of 1930, 45-year-old Joseph Crater waved goodbye to friends after an evening meal in a New York restaurant, flagged down a taxi, and rode off. He was never seen or heard from again. Fifty years of research have offered countless theories but no conclusions. Since Crater was a successful New York Supreme Court judge, many have suspected murder, but a solid lead has never been found. Other options have been presented, kidnapping, mafia involvement, even suicide. A search of his apartment revealed one clue. It was a note attached to a check, and both were left for his wife. The check was for a sizable amount, and the note simply read, I'm very weary, love. Joe. The note could have been nothing more than a thought at the end of a hard day, or it could have meant a great deal more, the epitaph of a despairing man. Weariness is tough. I don't mean the physical weariness that comes with mowing the lawn or the mental weariness that follows a hard day of decisions and thinking. No, the weariness that attacked Judge Crater is much worse. It's the weariness that comes just before you give up, that feeling of honest desperation. It's the dispirited father, the abandoned child, or the retiree with time on his hands. It's that stage in life when motivation disappears, the children grow up, a job is lost, a wife dies. The result is weariness, deep, lonely, frustrated weariness. Only one man in history has claimed to have an answer for it. He stands before all the Joseph Craters of the world with the same promise. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Chapter 3 Now don't get carried away. Peter followed at a distance. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Peter was sharp. He kept his distance from Jesus. I'll stay close enough to see him, Peter reasoned, but not too close, or I may get caught. Good thinking, Peter. Don't get too involved. It might hurt. Don't be too loyal. You might get branded. Don't show too much concern. They'll crucify you, too. We need more men like you, Peter. Men who keep religion in its place. Men who don't stir the water. Men who reek with mediocrity. That's the kind of man God needs, yes, sir. One who knows how to keep his distance. Now, I'll pay my dues, and I'll come once a week, but, well, you can get carried away, you know. Yes, you can get carried away, up a hill, to a cross, and be killed. Peter learned a lesson that day, a hard lesson. It is better never to have followed Jesus than to have followed him and denied him. Mark these words. Follow at a distance and you'll deny the master, period. You won't die for a man you can't touch, period. But stay near to him in his shadow. You'll die with him gladly. Chapter 4 New Wine is for Fresh Skins Mark 2, 22 I'll never forget Stephen. 
I met him in St. Louis. His twenty-three years had been hard on him, his arms scarred from the needle and his wrist scarred from the knife. His pride was his fist and his weakness was his girl. Steve's initial response to love was beautiful. As we unfolded the story of Jesus before him, his hardened face would soften and his dark eyes would dance. He wanted to change. But his girlfriend would have none of it. Oh, she'd listen politely and would be very sweet, but her heart was gripped by darkness. Any changes Steve made would be quickly muffled as she would craftily maneuver him back into his old habits. She was the last thing between him and the kingdom. We begged him to leave her. He was trying to put new wine into an old wineskin. He wrestled for days trying to decide what to do. Finally, he reached a conclusion. He couldn't leave her. The last time I saw Steve, he wept uncontrollably. I held big, tough, macho Steve in my arms. The prophecy of Jesus was true. By putting his new wine into an old skin, it was lost. Think for a minute. Do you have any wine skins that need to be thrown out? Look closely in your closet. They come in all sizes. Maybe yours is an old indulgence, food, clothes, sex, or an old habit like gossip or profanity, or possibly like Steve, an old relationship. No friendship or romance is worth your soul. Repentance means change, and change means purging your heart of anything that can't coexist with Christ. You can't put new life into an old lifestyle. The inevitable tragedy occurs. The new life is lost. Chapter 5 Sour Grapes I once knew a man who treated Bible class and the worship service like a harsh movie critic treats a new release. Entertain me, arms folded, lips tight, expectant. This had better be good. With a ruthless eye and a critical ear, he sat and watched and listened. The teacher, the minister, the music director, all were his prey. And woe be unto the teacher who didn't ask his opinion, unto the minister who went a few minutes over, unto the music director who chose songs the critic didn't know. I once knew a man who came every Sunday to be entertained and not to encourage. He remarked that the Sunday afternoon game was more exciting than the Sunday morning assembly. I wasn't surprised. Chapter 6 Billy Resigns One evening in 1954, Billy Sickard resigned from life. No official announcement was made and no papers were signed, but still she resigned. For all practical purposes, Billy decided to live no longer. Her spirit died in 1954. Her body died in 1979. On that evening in 1954, Billy's only reason to live left her. Her twelve-year-old son, George, died of a brain tumor. Little George's death left Billy prisoned inside a vacuum. She'd been thirty-four when she had borne him. After her husband left, little George became her life. When he died, his death became hers. She was well-to-do. Billy had lived on exclusive Sunset Island in Miami since 1937. After her death, the house went at an auction price of $226,000. Yet all this was immaterial to Billy. Her life had been her child. 
They say that after George died in a New York City hospital, the body was brought to her home for a wake. After displaying the body for a day in the home of Mrs. Sicard, the funeral director came to remove it. She refused to let him. For several days she mourned behind locked doors before she gave the body up. It had been nothing for Billy to go on a shopping spree and spend a hundred dollars on toys for George. In 1979, when her body was found, so were the toys, exactly as her son had left them. Nothing was packed, nothing moved. For twenty-five years, Billy had roamed in a house full of toys with a heart full of memories. When the house was sold after her death, little George's Cub Scout uniform was still hanging in the downstairs coat closet. On the wall was a child's sketch of a choo-choo train drawn in red crayon. She had never washed it off. His Mickey Mouse slipper sat in the corner of his bedroom. In the garage sat a 1941 Packard, a gift she had given to little George on his tenth birthday. When Billy resigned from life, she became a social recluse. Her yard became a jungle. Her home became a source of ghost stories and old wives' tales. She overate. She withdrew. She didn't care. Billy resigned. Her life stands as a quiet legacy to us all. Man must have something larger than death, or death takes man. Chapter 7 For the Love of a Stranger and the Lack of a Name John's life peaked at age 13 when he was homeroom president. So far, that office has been the high point in his life. John's life is an...